What's up, guys? It's Heather here, back with another episode of my podcast audiobook on Substack, Strike Boat. Uh, just a note, today is January 17th, 2022. We had a massive snowstorm here today, and my kids are home from school, and also one of them has a friend over, so I'm going to do my best to record this um, audiobook, and I've told them all not to thump around, but... There's only so much I can control, (laughs) and so with that, um, wherever you are, I hope you're keeping warm and getting comfy, and I'm going to start recording Chapter 6, Jenna. Jenna frowned at the phone. She was calling the police station, but it just rang and rang, not even a recorded message there to greet her. That was very strange. Maybe something damaged in the switchboard, Mary Mary said this hopefully. Jenna heard the words again in her head. I own the cops, the man had said. She nodded ruefully at Mary. Probably. She tried a few more times and then gave up. She even tried the chief's direct line again, his private cell phone number that he'd been forced to share with her because she was the mayor. But that number also came up empty. Vic was scrolling through Facebook. Lots going on in town, he said. I'm seeing posts about looting, power outages, sinkholes. Could be every available officer is out on site. Jenna smiled at him. You're probably right. She crossed to the sofa and sat down just in time to feel a tremor in the soles of her shoes that gradually intensified into another quake. It didn't seem as bad as some of the ones that had come before, but this time, part we through. They lost power in the building. The lights and the TV went off. There was a hiss from the coffee maker in Mary's kitchenette. And then as the trembling subsided, they heard the whomp of the diesel generator starting up. It powered the emergency lights, the switchboard, and the main computer system. They waited for a moment to see if the regular power would come back on, but it did not. Vic crossed to the window and looked out, separating two of the horizontal slats of the blinds with his fingers and peering through the gap. Lights are on at the food land down the block, but they're off across the road at Burley Motors. Jenna wanted to believe that the power outage was a natural outcome of the quake they just experienced, but she had a feeling there was more to it than that. She wasn't sure how much reach and power a cartel of billionaires like Flag would have. Could they go so far as to have the power disconnected in the building? She shrugged internally. If there was something going on inside that they wanted stopped, they probably could, she thought. At least we've got lots of life left in the generator. Jay was trying to steer the conversation onto grounds that felt a bit less desperate. Jenna realized this and felt a surge of gratitude. She smiled at him. Right, because Mary had it filled a little while ago. Right, Mary? When was that? Mary flipped through the logbook she kept on her desk. January, just a few months ago, and there's been no use of it since then. Diesel tanks should be good to go for at least 18 hours. Not that this power outage will last until then. I'm sure they'll have us up and running soon. Tamara turned to Carrie. I think I left my straightener in the girls' washroom downstairs last week. You want to go with me to look for it? Jenna glanced at Tamara. She was staring at Carrie intently, and Jenna watched her widen her eyes ever so slightly when he looked at her. Carrie squinted. Sure? 
He didn't sound too sure, but he held out a hand towards Tamara. Let's go. Jenna saw the suspicion on Mary's face as she watched them go. Those two are up to something, she said. I saw the look she gave him, and I don't like it. Mary sighed and looked at Jenna. Isn't it kind of weird, you not getting an answer at the police station? Jenna puffed air upwards, blowing her bangs back from her forehead. You're telling me I am the goddamn mayor after all. An awkward silence fell. Jenna needed time to think. She stood up and stretched, then crossed to the window. The day's events had an air of unreality that was making her question everything. She needed time to process, to make some kind of sense out of what was going on, to make a plan. From the sounds of things, they were in danger. She was in danger. She knew this. She could feel it. She'd been able to feel it since she woke up that morning. A heavy tension in her gut that sent the odd blip through her nervous system, making her aware that things were off. It was like all of the nerve endings in her body were picking up little signals being transmitted through the atmosphere, carrying a message to her subconscious that told her there was heavy danger here. That must be the fracking damage, the quakes, all that, she thought, and the knowledge that her body might pick up on something like the brokenness of the ground beneath her feet did not seem all that odd to her. That, she understood intuitively. She'd always been in tune with nature. That was why she'd become a field biologist. What she could not understand was what it took inside of you to act the way the people who had done this thing had acted. Their playbook had been to exploit, to capitalize, to threaten, to coerce, and they were the ones who were coming after her. She felt cold dread in her gut at the thought of that. They were coming. She knew this too. She felt it. The man on the phone had not been joking. His threats had been legit, and no matter how absurd it was, the threat he'd made to send a man to hurt her hadn't been an empty one. If that was the case, then she'd be wise to remember that these weren't your average humans she was dealing with. They're a whole new level of danger, and they're already here. Her father's voice again, speaking up inside her heart. They're closer than you think. She peered out at the front parking lot, scanning it from end to end, but there were no vehicles that she didn't recognize. She had to think things through. She needed time. She took a deep breath and held it, then closed her eyes, trying to center herself. The thing these billionaires had done was monumental, huge. She didn't know what lengths they were capable of going to, what tools they had at their disposal, but she knew that if there was any way to keep the public from finding out what they had done, they'd use it. Jenna had been offered enough bribes to know this. If there was a chance they could contain the information, they would use whatever means they felt were necessary. She bit her lips, scanning the front parking lot again. She wasn't sure what she was looking for. An ominous-looking vehicle, two men with briefcases and sunglasses stepping out to, heads to head towards the door, perhaps. You've seen too many movies, her father's voice told her. She shook her head to clear it then allowed her mind to drift. Beyond the fence, a golden field of cut wheat had been raked into neat rows to dry. The blue sky stretched beyond, a strip of verdant forest along one side.
The scene was ordinary, just your average, run-of-the-mill, rural Ontario countryside. But for Jenna, at that moment, it was touched with an exquisite loveliness that made it glisten like a polished diamond. Had she ever noticed it before? Had she ever really stopped to notice that the part of the world in which she lived was quite this beautiful? She saw it now, and it was. The land she was looking at was stunningly, stunningly lovely, just like the earth itself was beautiful. And they had been willing to risk that in pursuit of profit, because when the subsidence went down, this beautiful part of the earth would be lost. A rising sorrow flooded through her at the thought, humankind destroying this beautiful resource, harming the planet that cradled it, costing itself this life-giving, nurturing place, all because one small group of people cared more about making money than they did about their fellow man and the destruction of the earth that they were causing in pursuit of their personal profit. When what the slideshow had foretold came true, this land would be lost. Already the view outside her window felt like a dying family member to her now. The completeness of its beauty amplified by the poignancy that its loss would leave behind on the landscape of the earth. Inside of her, a pain welled up at that thought, a pain that rose up from the very marrow of her body and her soul, pain for the earth and the animals and the wildlife, for nature lying broken and abused and disrespected instead of revered and cherished and lovingly tended. There was pain when she thought of the whole beautiful, fragile, intricately connected ecosystem arrayed in front of her with its watersheds coursing through it like the veins of the mother's body, bringing nutrients and nourishment to her babies, to the myriad of ecosystems that made up life on the planet as we know it, that created the ability for humankind to feed and clothe and shelter itself. The beautiful, intricate systems of life broken and crumbling and falling down, filling up with water, lost, never to be seen again. It hurt her heart and her soul to think of that, and it would hurt her keenly when it fell. She knew this in her bones, not for her sake, but its own. Humanity had let the earth down, let this part of it be lost, instead of caring for it, like the indigenous had always known that humans had been asked to do. Sorrow, like she'd never felt before, welled up from deep inside her. She wiped a sleeve across the dampness at her eyes, but then a flash of pink drew her attention. Her jaw dropped. What the hell? Wanda Blake, who volunteered with Jenna at Sister Act, was clambering over the fence at the side of the building and scurrying towards the front door. And from the look on Wanda's face, Jenna could tell that she was terrified. She raced towards the entranceway and down the stairs to meet her. Carrie and Tamara were outside the building, squatting down beside the diesel tank that ran the generator. A gauge teed off from the fill valve, and Carrie picked it up. He peered at the dusty glass, trying to get a reading as to how much fuel was left inside. Can you read it? Tamara got up, stepped to the edge of the little alcove where the diesel tank sat and glanced in both directions. How much is left? Satisfied that they were alone, she squatted back down. 
Carrie rubbed the glass against his shirt and made a face. Not much. No way, she said, shouldering him out of the way so she could read the gauge herself. Fuck, it's almost empty. He looked at her, sitting on her haunches with her long brown bangs hanging down in front of her eyes, and as he watched, she raised a hand to fluff her bangs back with her fingers. She was just so earnest and so, so cute. This girl of his, who had committed this crime, stealing diesel fuel from the municipal tank to fuel her friend's mom's Volkswagen so she could use it to come and visit him out on the res. He couldn't help but smile. It's not funny, you idiot. Don't you know that stealing from the municipal building is like stealing from the government? I can go to jail for this, so don't you sit and smile at me, you jerk. Her eyes filled up with tears. She put her face into her hands. Hey, he said softly, reaching out to stroke a length of her glossy black hair. He pulled her against him. Hey now, don't cry. Just because there's diesel missing doesn't mean they're going to know that it was you who took it. Hope flared briefly on her face. She thought this over, then frowned. If someone else had done it, there'd be damage to the safety lock. I had my mom's key, so it's intact. They're going to know that it was me. Not necessarily, he said. He stood, his long legs unfolding from beneath him. He brushed his hands over the seat of his jeans, dislodging a shower of fine sand. He began to scout around, his eyes lighting upon a fist-sized chunk of concrete that sat against the building's edge. He snatched it up and weighed it in his hand, looking thoughtfully at the lock. Suddenly, and without warning, he swung the chunk of concrete at the padlock. Two hard hits, and it was broken. There, he said. You see? Things aren't so bad. We'll be okay. God, Carrie, I can't believe you did that. Now we'll both be in trouble. Relax, he tossed the chunk of concrete back where he had found it. Fluffing his long hair back from his face, he bent and picked up the pieces of the lock. Now we throw these in the dumpster there, and when they find the tank's been emptied, we're home free. She wanted to believe him. Carrie, if they find out you just did that, you're going to be in trouble. He pulled her to her feet, then slung an arm around her shoulders. They started for the dumpster. A heavy sky escaped him. Listen, babe, if we get caught, I'll take the blame. They're all going to think it was me anyway. Who's going to believe a good girl like you had anything to do with stealing diesel when there's a dirty res kid standing by to hang the blame on? We might as well just tell them it was me. I got no prospects anyway, but you got your whole life ahead of you. University, nice house, picket fence. You got places to go in this life, so don't worry. He gave her a quick kiss on the side of her neck. You're my girl. If anyone finds out, I'll take the blame. She peered up at him doubtfully. I don't know. That feels wrong. But okay, if you're sure. They walked up to the dumpster. I'm sure. Carrie frowned. Hey, there's a vehicle back here, he said. Hold it right there. Gilles Doucette stepped out from behind the air conditioning unit where he'd been crouching, waiting for them to pass. They froze. He aimed his pistol at them. 
They heard the sound of the safety clicking off. Carrie pulled Tamara in behind him, shielding her with his body. Look, man, I didn't mean nothing by it. I know I broke the lock off, but it wasn't like we were going to steal anything, you know? What are you, some kind of security guard or something? Just take it easy, bro, okay? The fox grunted out a humorless bark of laughter, then came towards them. Jenna made it to the building's double doors, just as Wanda Blake was reaching for the handles. There was a split second where their faces were superimposed over each other's in the reflection of the glass. Jenna saw the terror etched on both. Stifling a shudder, she opened the door. Wanda, what is it? Wanda rushed inside and turned to pull the big doors closed behind her. Lock the door, quick. There's a man out back and he's got a gun. Wanda was out of breath and gasping, one hand splayed across her chest. Jenna felt the fear bat spring to life inside her heart and flap its terrible wings, but outwardly she kept her cool. She reached out, clicked the deadbolt home, and locked the door. I'm listening, she said. Go on, back up, and tell me what you saw. The others had come down the stairs as well. Mary was amongst them, her forehead creased with worry. He's parked behind the dumpster, out of sight. We saw him pull his gun out of the holster. He's looking for a way inside the building. Lodi sent me around the opposite way to warn you guys, to tell you to lock up. Jenna took a step backwards, drawing Wanda with her. They sent someone, she thought. They sent the man who wants to hurt me, and he's here. Wanda saw him. He's out back right now. He's parked behind the dumpster, and he's got a gun. She took a breath. Her father's voice inside her head. Stay calm. A surge of adrenaline coursed through Jenna's body. Instinct took over. She drew Wanda with her to the staircase, out of sight or gunshot range, of the front door. Wanda, back up and tell me where you were and how you saw this. I was on the quad with Lodi. He's my neighbor. We came up the back way through Bakersfield. We were looking for you, Jenna. We need to talk to you about something. That's a whole other story. We came across the back field on a four-wheeler, but when we got out back behind the building, we saw this vehicle pull up and hide behind the dumpster. Lodi spied on him through the viewfinder and saw that he had a gun. He was trying to sneak into the building. He tried the basement stairwell and all the downstairs windows on the lower offices. That's when Lodi went after him. He told me to come around the other side of the building, in through the front door, to come and warn you. There was a sharp intake of breath from the staircase. Mary pressed her knuckles against her teeth. We need to find the kids, she said. Tamara's around here somewhere and there's a man with a gun out back. We've got to find them. I'll go, said Vic. He vaulted down the stairs and disappeared through the door to the basement. The sound of his footfalls echoed away. Things were happening fast, too fast. Jenna needed to make some sense of what was going on. She cocked her head at Wanda. Who did you say was with you? Who's Lodi? Wanda took a breath. Lodi James, she said. He's my neighbor. I've known him all his life. His parents ran that hippie booth up at the flea market for years. His mother, Serafina, crochets beautiful shawls and hammocks. They have a farm across from Donald King's. He took it over. Lodi did. I used to drive him on the school bus. Look, there's something crazy going on. We saw this sinkhole in the earth, and King is covering it. 
he's got the town bulldozer out there. That caught Jenna's ear. The conversation she had overheard that morning came back to her. Kevin Perkins in the service alley in his pickup truck, taking a bribe. Here's the key to the municipal works yard. There's a dozer there. You'll find keys for all the equipment in a locked cupboard in the trailer. So that's what was what he was up to, she thought. But then Vic came barreling past them, running up the stairs towards the lounge. They're not down there. The kids aren't in the basement. They said they were going to the downstairs washroom, but they're not down there. Something's wrong. Mary's face went white. A line of tears appeared along her lashes and spilled over to fall soundlessly onto her navy blazer. Come on, Jenna said. She put her arm around Mary and drew her up the stairs. Deb followed. Wanda Blake remained behind for a moment, peering anxiously out the window. Dear God, she whispered, scanning her eyes from side to side along the hedgerow. Please let Lodi be okay, and those kids they're looking for as well. She bit her lip, then turned and followed the rest of them up the stairs. Lodi was behind the man with the gun, following at a safe distance, watching as he methodically checked out every door and window on the side of the building. There was a metal fire escape directly ahead and silently Lodi climbed up it. The man with the gun rounded the front corner of the building and disappeared from Lodi's sight. From where he sat on the third floor landing of the fire escape, Lodi saw a basement window open and two teenage kids climb out. Not good, he thought. If the man with the gun came back around, these two would be right in his path. Lodi peered down at them. He watched as they made their way to a little alcove and crouched beside the diesel tank. With growing unease, he saw the gunman circle back around the corner into view. Lodi saw him notice the two kids and duck behind an air conditioning unit where they wouldn't see him. Thankfully, the man's attention was focused on the teens, Lodi thought, because if he happened to look up, Lodi was a sitting duck. Lodi could hear Carrie and Tamara talking. Straining his ears hard, he heard their conversation and figured out that they had stolen diesel from the tank. He watched as Carrie smashed the lock, then saw them head towards the dumpster. He saw the man with the gun emerge from his position and follow them, crossing right under the staircase where Lodi crouched. Shit, he thought. This was not good at all. He needed to help those teenagers, he realized. Lodi's right hand crept towards his hip from habit, feeling for a holster that he wasn't wearing. Squinting through the metal meshwork grating of the fire escape, Lodi looked for a weapon of some kind, an object, anything that he could use to club the man from behind. By that point, the man had the girl by the neck, holding her against him with the weapon pointed at her head. Nope, not good. Time to move. Lodi drew a deep and steadying breath. The kid had used a chunk of concrete to smash the lock, he remembered. As far as weapons went, it wasn't great, but it would have to do. Silently, he made his way down the metal meshwork stairs and picked it up, then crept toward the dumpster. The gunman had a hold of the dark-haired girl. He held her against him and pointed the gun at her boyfriend. Thankfully, the gunman's back was facing Lodi. Slow 
Slowly, Lodi edged around the corner of the building. The chunk of concrete gripped firmly in his hand. He made eye contact with the boy and held a finger to his lips, motioning for the boy to look away. To his relief, the boy complied. Carrie raised his hands and started babbling. Look, man, please don't hurt her. Let us go. We'll do whatever you say. Just please let my girlfriend go. She's innocent. It was me that took the diesel from the tank. It wasn't her. The boy was clever enough to understand that Lodi was on his side. Lodi used the cover of Carrie's chatter to hide the sound of his approach. Shut up, fuckface. The fox's words hung in the air. When he spoke again, a sneer curled up one corner of his lip. I ain't no cop. Now where the fuck is this Jen abroad, the bitch who uploaded the slideshow? Carrie stalled for time. Look, man, I know I downloaded some things I shouldn't have downloaded, but what do you expect? I'm just a kid. The city should put filters on their computers if they don't want people looking at that stuff. He continued on in this vein as Lode edged closer. Keeping his eyes on the big man's back, Lodi crouch walked, closing the gap between them. His muscles quivered with tension, his eyes trained on the gunman. He was only a few steps away. His fingers tightened on the chunk of concrete. Something of his movement must have caught the gunman's eye. Doucette began to turn his head to look behind him, and as he did so, things in Lodi's mind slowed to a crawl. Time itself slowed down, became elastic. Every second seemed to hover in the air, stretch out, then merge into the next one, each moment lengthening into a long, continuous arc. His focus calm, his mind reported back to him on every detail. There went the fingers of his right hand, touching gravel briefly as he shifted his momentum upwards. Now the long muscles in his thighs compressed, sprang loose to thrust his body forwards. Now he grabbed a fistful of suit jacket from the gunman's back. Distantly, he registered the streak of gravel dust his fingers left on the charcoal-colored fabric. The gunman's face had turned around. Lodi registered the eye contact, saw him drop the girl. The gun hand started to come around toward him, but now the sinews in Lodi's strong right arm were tightening. He drew the man towards him, now his left fist firm in its hold on the concrete as he brought it upwards, not toward the big man's face, but through it the sound of crunching bone choking off the drawn-out cry of anger and surprise the man was uttering. The gunman's head snapped to the right. A rain of bloody droplets hung suspended in the air. Lodi saw them shimmer crimson in the sunlight, and then the fox went down. Time returned to normal with a lurch. Tamara screamed. Lodi registered the sound, and then the boy grabbed hold of her and shoved her face against his body. Lodi swung his gaze around to meet the kids. Carrie was calm, his dark eyes steady as he raised a hand, palm out, and cleared his throat. We cool? he asked, and Lodi nodded. We're cool, he said. Carrie let out a breath, patting his hand over his heart. Dude, he laughed. I don't know where you came from, but you got here just in time. Lodi didn't reply. He was crouching down, going through the gunman's pockets, listening to the blood thunder in the veins inside his head. 
He was looking for identification, but now that he could see the big man's face, he didn't need it. He knew this face. It was the face of the man who haunted him in his nightmares, the man who had emerged from the hovel in Kandahar. This man was Gilles Doucette, a.k.a. the fox, the man who he had hunted for eight years. And if the fox was here, then that meant they were in more trouble than he'd known. All right, don't talk to me. That's cool. But that was some swing you got. Is he, uh, is he dead? Carrie took a few steps closer, peering over Lodi's shoulder. Lodi unwrapped Doucette's thick fingers from the gun and shoved it in the belt of his own jeans. Mobile phone, wallet, and keys he took as well. There was nothing else. In answer to Carrie's question, the fox stirred. He raised his hands to his face and grabbed a hold of his dislocated jaw, then jammed it back into place, blinking swollen eyes. His gaze was dull and unfocused, but Lodi had a feeling a man like the fox could take a beating and get up sooner than most. Doucette's eyes fluttered closed again. His head went slack against the pavement. As though from a distance, Lodi watched his own two hands snake out and branch around the fox's throat. The impulse to strangle Doucette fired down Lodi's synopsis, a corresponding tightness traveling down his arms. His fingers clenched as the image of Simcoe's ruined face that night in Kandahar swam up in front of Lodi's eyes. Fuck you, he thought. Fuck you, Doucette. I've searched all over the world for you. I'll kill you for what you did to them. He saw again the weapons huddle, the fox emerging, dead cold eyes that locked on Lodi's face as he pulled the trigger and fired his weapon right at Lodi's chest. Fuck you, Doucette. He said it out loud. The pressure in his head was building, the urge to strangle growing. He wanted nothing quite so badly in that moment as to kill him, to make him pay for all the lives he'd wasted, selling weapons to profit from a conflict he was not a part of, selling people's lives. The pictures of the women this man had murdered all over Europe swam up to float in front of Lodi's vision. No one should have to die like that. No one. His, an, his hands around Doucette's neck tightened. Tamara let out a cry from behind him. The fox's face was turning purple. You're not in Kandahar, Lodi thought. It took everything he had, but he reined himself into some control. Sighing, he withdrew with hands from Lodi's, sorry. Sighing, he withdrew his hands from Doucette's neck and looked up at the teenagers over his shoulder. They were huddled together in shock and surprise, watching Lodi. He made a conscious effort to calm down. Look, I'm not going to kill him, okay? But we need to get inside. He gestured towards the building with his head. We need to get inside and lock the doors. So bring me in through whichever entrance you came out, and we'll lock it up behind us. Carrie and Tamara exchanged a look. You saw us come out? Tamara asked, leading the way to a ground floor window. She cocked her head and squinted at Lodi. From where? Lodi jerked his thumb towards the fire escape. Up there. So you saw us when we were, you know, by the tank. She looked up at him, hopefully. He nodded. Afraid so. Tamara groaned, then dropped down to sit on the grass outside the window. She splayed her hands flat on the glass and gave a push, and the window opened inward. 
shimmying forwards until her feet and legs dangled down inside. She executed a little half twist and wound up on her belly. She lowered herself down into a pinkly painted women's washroom. Lodi followed her. Carrie came last, turning around to lock the window with the bar that he had stowed along the wall. They heard the sound of voices outside the bathroom as the others left the basement, calling out Tamara and Carrie's names. Mom, Tamara called, rushing out the door and into the corridor. Mom, I'm here. She ran into her mother's outstretched arms and started crying. Standing in the hallway, Jenna watched with relief. She was so grateful to see the kids come out of the bathroom that she felt the sting of tears in the backs of her eyes. She had to blink repeatedly to clear her vision, however, because the third person to walk out the bathroom door was possibly the the most beautiful human being she had ever seen. The man had close-cropped, sandy blonde hair and blue eyes set off by a deep outdoorsy tan. She snuck a discreet glance at his muscular form and saw the tautness of his t-shirt stretched around a strong chest and arms. Well now, she thought, in spite of herself, who have we here? He met her eyes and something flashed between them. Jenna's heartbeat quickened, but then she forced herself to pay attention to what Tamara had to say. With her head pressed up against the lapels of Mary's blazer and her words tumbling out in a rush between sobs, Tamara told them, Mom, this man, he pulled a gun on us. He grabbed a hold of me around the neck and held me up against him. And mom, it was awful. And Carrie started babbling to him. And the man was asking about Jenna and the slideshow. And then I didn't see what happened, but the man went down. Carrie interrupted, jerking a thumb towards Lodi. This guy clubbed him from behind. Carrie looked at Lodi appraisingly. I've never seen a man go down so hard. That swing was like a freight train. Lodi shrugged. Wanda rushed over to him, looking worried. Oh my God, are you okay? Lodi's expression softened. Fine, he smiled. He gave her hand a squeeze, then went to the window to look out. Things were happening quickly. Jenna watched as Wanda rushed over to the man she had called Lodi, which reminded Jenna of that old song by the Grateful Dead. Oh Lord, I'm stuck in Lodi again. If you're hearing a lot of thumping, it's my kids upstairs. Sorry about that. Just like Wanda had, this man Lodi had appeared seemingly out of nowhere. Jenna watched with interest the affection that passed between the two of them. Jenna didn't know him, had ever never laid eyes on him before, but there was something about him that made her feel a little better for having him around. Wanda was clearly fond of him, and Jenna had a lot of respect for Wanda Blake. Still, the caller had said that he was going to send a man to hurt her, and a man had arrived. A handsome man, yes, but he had a gun. Jenna could see it, tucked into the waistband of his jeans. She opened her mouth to voice these thoughts, but Victor beat her to it. Look, bro, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm glad you helped the kids, but our mayor here has been threatened today. We're all a little edgy, and now you show up with blood all up your forearm arm and a gun tucked in your waistband. You mind telling us who you are and where you came from? The man frowned at Vic, then cast one worried look out the window. He held his hand out, shook Vic's hand. 
My name is Lodi James. I live out on a gravel road outside of town. We got here on my quad, came across the field from 81. He tipped his forehead to the east. Jenna watched the way the movement made the light shine off his close-cropped hair and thought, Oh my, I was born on that property, lived there as a kid, but then I left to join the army. Did 10 years before I lost my stomach for it. Went on a bit of a world tour after that, searching for someone, a bad man who caused a lot of pain to a lot of people. He broke off speaking and looked hard at Jenna. Then he pointed his finger at the window. That man is outside this building right now, as it happens. He's dangerous. He said he was looking for a woman named Jenna. That you? Jenna swallowed. That's me, she said thickly. Hi, I'm Jenna Walters. I'm your mayor. Lodi's face was thoughtful, and when he spoke, his voice was soft. If he's after you, ma'am, then you need to take care. He's dangerous. He held Jenna's gaze until she nodded. I understand, she said. Good. Anyway, about six months ago, my parents left the farm, signed it over to me, and set out in their Winnebago to tour around the world. I've been out there raising chickens ever since. Don't really know nobody around these parts, not anymore, except for Wanda. He paused to smile at her, his voice softening. That's why this morning when the quake hit, she was on my mind, so I went to check on her. Wanda held a hand up for him to stop. Wait, she said. Back up. Tell him about the noises and what happened with King. Right. About a week ago, I started hearing noises, rumbling sounds, coming up from the ground. They're more than rumbling sounds, Wanda broke in. They sound like hell itself is shaking loose. We've heard that too, said Carrie. Tamara nodded. Mom, remember that babysitting job I had out at Candy Talbot's place? They live on 81. I heard it there, too. And me, out on the res, Carrie said. Lodi was nodding. He caught Jenna staring at him, and she felt a rush of warmth climb up her neck. I couldn't figure what it was. I heard it again this morning, louder than ever. This morning, I borrowed Donald King's tractor, and when I brought it back, I asked him about it. I asked him if he'd heard it. I didn't hear shit, he said, and neither did you. Seemed almost like he was threatening me, and then he walked away. I went inside to grab a shower, and it came again, but worse. The water in the shower stopped flowing. The house was shaking so bad I was afraid the roof was going to come down on me. I barely had a chance to get my clothes on, and I ran outside. When it finally stopped, I walked around my property to check for damage. That's when I found this... Thing. I don't know what you call it, like a sinkhole or a fissure in the earth. He frowned momentarily at a loss for words. The pictures, Wanda said, fishing out the camera. They heard the chime as it came to life, and then she found the photo she had taken and held the camera out to Jenna. Intrigued, Jenna took it. What she saw depicted on the tiny screen made her blood run cold a deep fissure in the road that spoke to her of tremendous forces being unleashed from far below the surface of the ground. There were images like this one in the slideshow. The others clustered around and Jana, Jenna handed the camera over so that they could see as well. While they were looking and exclaiming over the damage, Jenna became aware of a feeling of despair that wanted to arise within her. 
this thing that they were looking at, this crevasse, it was in Mount Bridges, less than five kilometers away from where they stood. What the slideshow said is true, she thought. The knowledge of the devastating damage the flag had done was solidifying inside her heart. These images made it real. When she'd first seen the slideshow, there had been a sense of disbelief. There had also been a sense of internal knowledge because the images had resonated with the sense of dread she'd felt all morning. After seeing images of damage that tremendous, after having been threatened and now apparently stalked, the sense of disbelief was rapidly evaporating. There was no other conclusion to draw but that the people of southwestern Ontario were really in danger. Damage had been done deep down inside the earth. Elemental things were breaking. The earth was moving, shifting. Jenna's background was in ecology. She knew enough about the earth to know that when forces that primeval are set in motion, nothing that the feeble human race can do will stop them. Watching the images flash by, she felt the truth slam into her. The ground was going to sink. This area was going to flood. She felt a little sick, and all of a sudden, she didn't want to watch it anymore. She placed a hand flat over her stomach and turned away. I walked along the edge of this thing earlier, looking for King. I was worried about him. Thought if he had rushed out of his house during the quake like I had, then he might have ended up inside the chasm. Then I noticed that his truck was gone, so I decided to go check on Wanda. He got there just in time, too. Wanda grimaced, remembering. I was in the kitchen when it hit. The fridge tipped over on top of me. I couldn't get out from under it. I pushed and pushed, but it was just too heavy. Then I heard the sound of Lodi's quad. I was never so relieved in all my life. Lodi slung an arm around Wanda and gave her a quick squeeze. Wanda smiled up at him. There was tenderness between the two of them, Jenna noticed. She smiled weakly at him. Seems like it's your day to rescue people. He shrugged. We were in Wanda's living room watching the news about Wyerton when the power went out. I told her about the fissure in the earth, and we wondered if they were connected. She filled me in on what's been going on at King's place. Jenna looked at Wanda inquiringly. Wanda explained to them about the late night construction of the metal building and the trucks that came and went to lay the pipe. Anyway, we decided to take some pictures, and when we got there, we saw a crew come out and start to fill in the damage to the road, Wanda finished. Lodi nodded, met Jenna's eyes. Municipal badges on the dozers, too. Jenna slowly shook her head. Fucking Perkins, she thought. She grabbed the camera back and scrolled through the pictures, staring at the workers bulldozing gravel into the hole in the road. Incredulous, she handed the camera to Mary who glanced at it, then raised an eyebrow. Jenna sighed. They can't do that, she said. Not legally. That's town road. There's protocol for this. Lodi was looking at her intently. So you didn't authorize this then? She shook her head. Nope. Lodi nodded. That's what we figured. It's why we're here, ma'am. Wanda and I were thinking that if King was on the up and up, then someone in this building would have had to authorize the repairs. That was why we came here. Jenna frowned. She put two and two together in her mind. This man Lodi, he'd said his neighbor's name was Donald King. King must have been the man in the pickup truck that morning, the man in the plaid shirt, talking to Perkins in the service alley, the man with the fat brown envelope. 
The reason he had needed the keys to the works yard had been to go get the dozer to fill in the fissure his fracking operation had caused. She had that much figured out. She needed to think about how much to say, how much to tell them. She needed to concentrate, but instead she found herself distracted by Lodi's nearness. His lips, they looked so soft, and he had been so gentle just then with Wanda. She wondered how his lips would feel against her neck, what it would be like to touch him. Oh my God, what is wrong with me? She became aware that everyone was staring at her and pulled herself together. No one in this building gave consent for this, she said quietly, and that was the truth. She saw his tongue dart out to moisten his lips and felt her throat go dry. There was something between them, some kind of energy that was palpable. She wondered if he felt it too. It drew her to him, but she needed to put that aside for now because looking at those pictures had made her truly angry. Damn it! She turned away, raked her hands through her hair, and paced off the width of the hallway and back. What the hell is wrong with Donald King? He can't just take it upon himself to bulldoze municipal roads. It's crazy. I need to get up to my office. I need to call our road superintendent, get him out there to go look at that. Before she could go, however, the emergency lighting dimmed, then flickered. The generator coughed, then died plunging the basement into darkness. Jenna slipped her mobile phone from her pocket. The screen lit up, throwing off a weak blue aureola, lighting the staircase, but barely. Come on, the light's better upstairs. They headed up to the lobby. When they were up there, Lodi went to stand by the window and looked out. With the grainy light coming in through the window to see by, Lodi cast a wry look at Tamara. It seems the generators died for some reason, he said, giving her a withering look that contained some kind of meaning that Jenna was missing out on. He looked at Jenna. We've got bigger problems, though. The gunman's gone. Doucette made his way to the Range Rover, pausing outside the driver's door to pad his pockets. His keys were missing. Whoever blindsided me must have them. He felt around in his pockets. His cell phone and handgun were missing as well. Balls, he grunted. He spat a shard of tooth out onto the ground. Someone was going to pay for what they'd done to him. With any luck, it would be soon. He spotted his reflection in the glossy surface of the driver's window and touched his fingers to his mouth. His lips were swelling to a ruined mush. His cheekbone for sure was broken. His teeth felt jagged and misaligned. He opened his jaw as wide as he could and heard it creak. Dimly, he remembered reaching up and shoving it back into place. And as that memory broke, another followed. A face was hovering over him, retreating to the murky blackness at the edges of his vision. The memory struck a chord in him. He knew that face. Somewhere along the line, he had seen that face before cocked his head, studying his reflection a moment longer, trying to remember. Then his arm sprang out. He smashed the window with his fist, the giant bulky ruby rings he wore protecting him. He reached through the shattered glass and opened up the door. The car alarm was going apeshit. He got behind the wheel and swiped his thumbprint to deactivate it. The noise cut off mid-blip. For good measure, smashed the alarm console too. 
It hung askew, held in place by one bent bracket, but the sight of it made him feel a little better. He could always buy another vehicle. Hell, he could buy a whole fleet if he wanted to. A dull half-grin pulled up one corner of his mouth. They had his phone, but he had a rig that was equipped with a hands-free computer built into the dash. He said his password, monkey slut. The screen lit up. Good morning, Mr. Doucette. The voice was female, purring with a slight accent. He touched the phone call icon. Please say the name of the person you are calling. The machine directed pleasantly, and Doucette smirked. Give me Eric Cochran. Whoever was inside that building was about to pay for what they'd done to him, and dearly, it had been a long, long time since any man had bested Gilles Doucette. A series of blips issued forth from the computer, and then the female voice piped up again. Dialing Eric Cochran, please stand by, she said, and the fox knew that everything was going to be all right. All right, guys, that was a long episode. I'm going to leave it there for now. Uh, Next up, we have Chapter 7, which I'm going to attempt to record tomorrow. And wherever you are in this world today, I just want you to take a moment to take care of yourself and someone else if possible. If you can do something nice for someone else, give it a try. All right, blessings to you all. Take care. Stay free.